It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. It's officially like the full-on holiday season, right? Like, do you consider the holiday season to start before Thanksgiving? Uh, no. Okay. Not not officially. Okay. It, it you know it's one of those things like I I don't officially consider it started until Black Friday or whatever the night of Thanksgiving. Okay. But it's going to occur around you anyways, That's so true. it doesn't matter. That's true. That's a good point. Not um, to say my personal feelings don't matter, but in in this Sam, instance, your personal feelings do not matter. Thank they you. do not matter in the designation of holiday seasons. Yeah, I know. <laughs> now it's going know. to happen around me no matter what. <laughs> what about for you? Like, when does it start? I don't know. I feel like the season itself kind of starts like mid-November. When you start getting ramped up for Thanksgiving, to me, that's the holiday season. I guess if you really wanted to extrapolate it out, it's really like the full big holiday season is like a full quarter of the year from Halloween through New Year's. But I hate New Year's and Halloween. Like, you know, I'm 31. I don't have kids. There's nothing really that exciting about Halloween to me. So Thanksgiving and Christmas, that's it for me. And Festivus. That's fine. Oh, well, of course. We're going to have our own airing of grievances at some point, right? I have my poll up in the living room already. All right. Well, at some point, you have to come over here and hit me. Okay. Otherwise, it doesn't end. George, until you (laughs) come over here and fight your father. (laughs) So, hey, it's episode number 86 of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. I am Tyler Mon. He is Sam Dykstra. We are not in the same room this week, which is uh, a big bummer. But, uh, hey, thanks for tuning in wherever you found us. We got some really cool news. Last week... We talked about how we were 10 stars away on iTunes from being uh, from having 100 stars. We had 18 five-star reviews, and we talked about maybe we can get over that 100 mark before Christmas, um, which 100 stars doesn't mean anything. It was just a totally abstract designation that we gave ourselves. But then we got three more five-star ratings over the, over the last week, and we cracked. We're almost in the top 15 of baseball podcasts on iTunes, which is very cool. I think we actually got four more. We're up to what? now. Yeah, I know. Man. I, I wanted to say that that happened in the middle of you talking, but I don't think that was the case. But Maybe. still, no, we're up to 22 now. People so, knew. People knew. People knew. The force yeah. is strong. So yeah. it's everybody, you know, we, we're grateful for everybody who does listen and everybody who has rated and reviewed us and subscribed and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the fact that people came out like that last week w- was big, even if it was only four people. That still that means something to us. Um, so yeah, if, if you haven't done that yet, it, it, it really does mean the world to us for you to go ahead and do that. Um, gives our egos a little bit of a boost and it, it means, you know, we're going, yeah, it keeps us employed. That's what egos and employment egos. Uh, but it also lets us know, you know, that we're on the right track with this kind of thing. And we're always open to, uh, you know, feedback and we'll get to one of those questions later. Somebody actually sent us a thought this week. That's going to be our third strikes. So, uh, yeah, if you ever have something you want us to cover, you don't think we're covering or you want to hear us cover even more, as as always, as always has been the case, you know, reach out to us on Twitter uh, through email at podcastmilb.com. Um, you know, we're, we're always open to new ideas. 
Get at us, people. And uh, as noted, you can find us there on iTunes. We're the Minor League Baseball Podcast. You can give us a rating and a review and a subscription. You can find us on the Stitcher app. You can also find us at MILB.com slash podcast. And that sends us right into three strikes for the 86th episode of the show before the show podcast. We'll start with some trade news. Now, obviously, we're still a few days away from tentatively the baseball winter meetings, which will be taking place December 4th through the 8th in National Harbor, Maryland, provided on the major league side that the collective bargaining agreement gets agreed to and signed and all that kind of stuff. We're recording this on the afternoon of Wednesday, the 30th. That deadline is tonight. That does not affect the minor league side, especially on the business side. And we'll talk about that as the show goes along today. Benjamin Hill coming up in our third segment. We'll break that down. We're also going to have a conversation in our second segment with the head groundskeeper of the Louisville bats, Tom Nielsen. So if you've ever wondered what it's like being a groundskeeper, what the off season is like, what it takes to keep a field in shape throughout the, the long grind of a minor league season, We'll have that conversation as well. But we start things off with some hot stove news from the Seattle Mariners organization, which uh, has been very active as of the last couple of weeks. Uh, Sam always puts together really good subject lines for all of our show rundowns. And today it was, we need to get this podcast out before Jerry DePoto trades for us, which really, as of right now, could that's, that's could be in the offing. I would love to know what our return would be. <clears throat> Not much. You don't think? For you, I'd be the guy. I'd be the throw-in. They'd be like, "Oh, the Mariners acquired ranked podcast host Sam Dykstra and also Tyler Mon, who was included as well." Well, but you'd I'll be say the this. full write-up, and I'd be the paragraph at the bottom, like Mon thirty-one, also in the deal. I'll give you this, Tyler. I, I would fight <laughs> for you to be the player to be named later. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. And any trade that I get, I will fight for you to be that, that person on my side that's traded two weeks later that everybody forgets about. What a guy that nobody remembers at all. Um, <laughs> well, let's run through a pair of deals for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, the first one, because it happened first, we'll discuss uh, to lead things off. Mitch Haniger. Heads to the Mariners from the Arizona Diamondbacks. He was the 21st-ranked prospect in the D-back system, went to Seattle along with big league shortstop Gene Segura and left-hander Zach Curtis to the Mariners in a five-player deal for right-hander Taiwan Walker and infielder Kettle Marte. This is an interesting trade. Mitch Haniger had a breakout season last year. He was an Oregon All-Star. Really, really good year, but was sort of slow to develop in his career with the D-backs, blew up this season, actually started his career in the Brewers organization. He was 38th overall pick in 2012, traded at 2014 at the deadline for outfielder Gerardo Parra. Um, it was a whole 2015, 2016 was a whole big transitional stage in the career of Mitch Haniger. But it looks like he's gotten himself figured out now. Now he's in the Mariners organization. Yeah, it's amazing. If, if this trade had happened you know, two years ago, say, this would be the Taiwan Walker trade. Uh, not just because, you know, two years ago, it, we might still be talking about him as a prospect, but actually, uh, you know, Taiwan Walker was at a time, everybody talked about this when the trade went down, you know, he was the hang-up for the Mariners in getting David Price. They weren't willing to give him up. Um, so now we're talking about it in terms of, this is just a deal that feels like a lot of shifting parts. Uh, like you mentioned, there was five guys involved, you know, two going to Arizona and Walker and Marte and three coming to Seattle in Segura, Haniger and Curtis. Um, I don't think any either team gets significantly better because of this. They get a little more interesting at the very least. I, I think Walker is going to be a fun addition to Arizona. It's certainly a buy low moment for a new Arizona leadership group in the front office. Uh, but to go to Haniger because he is the one actually bona fide prospect in this group or a guy with prospect status remaining anyways was interesting. You mentioned this was the year he kind of popped, and he really did. I mean, we can't really undersell that. 
Uh, he led all of minor league baseball this year with a 999 OPS uh, in 129 games. Kind of split his year between Reno and Mobile. Hit 25 home runs, had a 321, 419, 581 slash line between those two places. Really took off in the Pacific Coast League where he hit 341 uh, with a 1.098 OPS and 20 homers in 74 games. Uh, you know, th- how much of that is a product of being in the PCL, which we know is a much better hitter, hitter's atmosphere? Uh, you know, we can't say for sure right now. He did play 34 games with the D-backs, hit just 229 with five homers in those 34 games. Uh, so has not really found that success, you know, in making that jump. Part of that could be that the gulf between AAA and the majors is as big as I can remember it since working here in the last five years. Uh, a lot more guys struggled with it last year than before. Um, so, you know, what does that taste mean for him? What does that mean for him in Seattle? You know, I don't think he's going to be given a starting outfield spot by any means there. He's going to have to work his way in there. Wouldn't be surprised if he starts out in Tacoma again uh, or maybe as a fourth or fifth outfielder. Um, but you know, what, what type of player is he? Is he the guy that we saw last year at AAA? You know, can he carry that forward or is that just what he's going to be? Uh, you know, kind of a guy who really succeeds, but never finds it in the major league level. Um, you know, like we said, everything was kind of there for him this year. Uh, it was his age 25 season. He is on the older side for a prospect. He's turning 26, actually December 23rd. Um, so, you know, this is an opportunity for him. I think it clears a little bit of, of room for him. He goes to an organization that obviously wants him. Uh, and I'm sure the Mariners are going to try to get him into the, the lineup as best they can, give him a chance this spring uh, to win a spot. Uh, but we'll have to see, you know. So it's on him to kind of prove now that 2016, you know, that breakout season wasn't just a mirage. Uh, so we'll have to see how that kind of carries in this spring. Uh, wh- what did you kind of take away from this, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, it's uh... – the Mariners, they improved that minor league system. It was the best minor league system in terms of winning percentage uh, in all of baseball in 2016, and that was after a really dismal 2015. And so they're obviously not scared to shake things up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I think for Haniger, it's a consistency thing now. Um, a couple of years ago, one of the things that uh, we talked about for the organization All-Star story was how he asked to go down a level so he'd get more at-bats, get more consistent playing time, be able to get himself figured out at the Class A advanced level, and then start start to progress from there. Phil Nevin noted that the AAA Reno manager. So I think the maturity is there. The, the work ethic is there. The tools and the success are obviously there for Mitch Hanager, but everybody's going to knock you when your success comes in hitter-friendly circuits, whether it's the PCL, whether it's the California League, Southern League, obviously a different story, but the case is, is always going to be the same. You got to prove it at high levels consistently. So I think that's a big part of that conversation uh, in that deal. The other deal kind of is almost this trade in reverse from the Mariners perspective. Alex Jackson, a first round pick as of 2014, the sixth overall selection in the major league baseball first year player draft dealt outside of the M's organization. He goes to Atlanta and that deal is surprising. It brings back two right-handed prospects to Seattle, uh, Max Pavzi and Rob Whalen come back the other direction, but Alex Jackson, I mean, it seems like, a very quick turnaround time to say this guy, we don't see this guy fitting into the future here and granted yeah. different, different organizational philosophy at the time, different front office, different player development staff when he was selected, but a very high ceiling coming out of high school when he was taken with the sixth overall selection, just hasn't been able to get himself figured out at the plate yet. 
Right. I, I think that's more what, what the issue is here. It's not DePoto getting rid of somebody who he didn't draft. I mean, if you looked at Alex Jackson going into that draft, he was a very exciting player. I mean, nobody really shook their heads of, I can't believe the Mariners reached to get him where they did. You know, coming out of Southern California, uh, certainly a baseball-heavy area. He, you know, he, it wasn't like he was playing uh, the backwoods or anything like that. And he was dominant there, and everybody thought, you know, this guy has a lot of the tools you want to see out of a guy coming out of high school. Uh, he was a catcher in high school. They wanted to move him to the outfield, you know, belay some of those uh, injury concerns that come with any catcher. Obviously, we saw that most notably uh, with R Bryce Harper a couple of years ago, not to compare the two cases. But, you know, you put Jackson in right field, you still get to use his arm, you get to use a little bit of his athleticism. Uh, but his bat just never caught up in the Mariner system. Now, th this is as much as they were uh, selling low on Taiwan Walker. I think this is another sell low part point because, you know, he's coming off a year. He hit 243, 332, 408. Uh, with only 11 homers and 92 games this year. His first technical full season, even though he had been at Class A Clinton the year before and really struggled there, hitting 157 in 28 games for the Lumber Kings. Uh, so this is a guy who hasn't figured it out even at the lowest of minor league levels quite yet. Um, you know, could that work? In, could he? Is that potential still there? Maybe. I mean, he, he's 20. He's turning 21 on Christmas Day. Uh, so, you know, coming up, happy birthday to Alex Jackson. I <laughs> uh, hope you get a lot of Braves gear. But, um, you know, this is it, it's just kind of it's a little bit befuddling to see them give up on somebody this early. But I, I don't know if it's giving up on them so much as Jerry DePoto has proven himself to be a guy who looks at what his team, what his organization needs and just goes out and gets it. And so I think in this deal, you know, as much as we want to focus on Jackson, it's it's as much about Jackson as it is Povsey and Whalen combined. I mean, these are two guys who have both pitched at the high level so far. Povsey, you know, made it to double A Mississippi this year, had a 2.93 ERA there. Uh, Whalen has pitched for the Braves, uh, made five starts for them last year, had a 2.40 ERA in 21 starts between Mississippi and Gwinnett. So, you know, the Mariners, you look at their system coming into these trades, not exactly one a one that had a lot of great pitching. I mean, I like Luis Gohara as much as the next guy, uh, but beyond that, not much upper-level pitching. So they get that in Povsey and Whalen. What do they have to do to get that? They have to give up Alex Jackson. Uh, you know, maybe if they do this trade a year ago, certainly two years ago, they get a lot more in return. They could get, you know, Alex Jackson used to be a top 100 prospect. Nowhere near that now. Uh, I think he slots in... Let me double check this. He slots in at number 13 right now. And obviously a loaded brave system, but for a guy who used to be top 100, that's a far cry from where he used to be. Um, so, you know, I don't think this is so much the Mariners just trying to get rid of a guy that they don't like. I think it's bringing in two guys they do like and praying the, or paying the appropriate price. Uh, now, you know, Jackson going to the Braves, I think that's a nice, fun fit for him in that they are not going to try to rush him. Not that the Mariners were trying to rush him, but you know, I don't think the pressure's on to be the guy in this organization anymore. He's not, you know, their first round pick from 2014. He's the guy they traded for. So that pressure kind of goes away. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see how he interacts in this new environment. But, you know, the Braves have done a pretty good job lately in player development. And now he gets a slot, slot in. We have to see, you know, what their plan is for him. Do they move him back to catcher? I, I don't know. I haven't seen anything that indicates they would. But, you know, maybe they have to get him back into his comfort zone. Maybe that was it. Uh, we'll, we'll see how this plays out for both sides. But this is one of those trades that's just kind of 
fun because it makes you sit back and kind of scratch your chin a little bit and think, okay, how does this work? There's no immediate winner or loser, I don't think. The Braves right now, do the Braves feel a little bit to you right now the way the Cubs felt three years ago, three, four years ago, where they're just everything they acquire seems like it has the potential to be a major league all-star. You know what I mean? Like that's these deals in that system right now, they're so stacked. There are guys 15 to 20 in the rankings, in that organization who would be top five in other systems. Oh, for sure. I, I was looking at this list, you know, coming into today uh, and you just go down the list and I mean, I could list them all. I'm, I'm not going to do that, but at every spot, it's kind of a guy I like, you know, I, w- I would want to go out and trade for it if I was in another organization. A, a guy whose stock I would buy. I don't think it gets into like, you know, the 1920th prospect where I sit there and think, you know, I I doubt that player is going to make the major leagues. There's just so much talent here that actually looks like they could contribute at the highest level. It's not just lottery tickets and um, a bunch of exciting tools with low ceilings. I mean, there there's a lot of fun in this Brave system. It gets even more fun with Jackson uh, just dreaming on what he could be. You know, I, I do think his floor is fairly low based on what he's shown us but his ceiling is still fairly high if he can put finally put everything together strike two this week sam organization all-stars continue two of the upper echelon systems the ones that we're going to discuss today the philadelphia phillies and the new york yankees and you know three years ago four years ago we would not have put them in the upper the upper echelon of minor league systems but both of these systems are really really loaded and it's a, a situation, I think, with both where you're going to see a lot of that talent. I mean, especially on the Yankee side, you're already seeing it. You're going to see a lot of that talent impacting the major league game in very short order. These are two fun ones. Definitely. I'll start out with the, the Phillies just because that's the one I wrote. Uh, Danny Wilde wrote the Yankees one. Um, and that surely you know was a fun one to do for him as well. But for the Phillies, it, it's fun just because this was a team – you know, we, we voted as a staff. We had the Milby, you know, staff vote for best farm system. They ended up winning that uh, this year. So our, we were obviously pretty high on the Phillies as a group, as a site. Uh, but the one thing about sitting down and doing their organization all-stars, there aren't that many guys that we think of as the top prospects in that Philly system, the stars of that Philly system, who ended up making that cut. I mean, I didn't put J.P. Crawford there because uh, he struggled a little bit at, at Lehigh Valley. What? You know, he'll be the first one to admit, um, you know, when I talked to a player development director, Joe Jordan, he said, J.B. Crawford said, you know, I'm going to be a different player when I come in to the spring. I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be, you know, a better offensive player. You guys can book that. So that that's exciting to hear. Didn't quite have the year this year. Nick Williams had his struggles at AAA. Uh, Mickey Moniak, you know, number one overall pick, a lot of fun, but only played at the GCL. So he's not going to make the cut. Uh, it was Jorge Alfaro, I think, was their only top 100 prospect to make that cut. So it was a bunch of other contributors that made for still a really, really positive year in that Philly system. Uh, you know, Alfaro was a guy who showed pretty good hitting ability, hitting 285 with 15 homers this year, and also a really, really good arm, which we always knew he had, uh, throwing out 44% of would-be base stealers or attempted base dealers, which is a career high for him, which is interesting considering he's got a 70-grade arm. Anyway, uh, we've talked at length about Dylan Cousins and Reese Hoskins and their kind of home run race at Reading this year. They obviously both make the cut. Uh, and then Ben Lively was a guy who you know, was kind of, not I won't say off our radar because we definitely knew of him b- back from his days with the Reds when he was a strikeout machine uh, back in, I think it was 2014. Uh, before being traded to the Phillies and then just really dropped off last year 
And for you know an organization that had Jake Thompson and Zach Eflin and uh, Mark Appel, he just got you know kind of forgotten about, and then really put himself back on the map this year. Uh, you know, with a I think he had a 1.89 ERA in the Eastern League and a 3.06 ERA in the uh, AAA International League. So he was their pitcher of the year. They're much higher on him now than they used to be. They think he really improved his slider, uh, improved his delivery. They're still looking for him to get one major out pitch, but when that comes, you know, they they like a back end. Uh, rotation member out of Ben Lively, which, you know, for a guy who had dropped out of the top 30 rankings for prospects in a loaded system, it se- it certainly seems much more promising for him than it did uh, 12 months ago. So a lot happened in this Philly system more than just the usual suspects. And that's what kind of stood out to me when putting this list together. Uh, you can check it out on the site, obviously. A uh, lot, lot more names on there. Some of them you might not know off the top of your head. You know, Casey Cerna, is now a free agent, a guy who was signed out of the Independent American Association a couple of years ago. Now looks like a, a desirable minor league free agent. Andrew Pullen, a guy who has uh, started the year retired. I think he was officially retired, but the Phillies claim he was on the uh, restricted list. Anyways, he joined the club again in, in May after taking the first month off. Ends up being an organization all-star and is now Rule 5 eligible. Uh, we'll have to see what that means for him if he ends up being, you know, taken by a team, given a major league shot this spring. Uh, so a lot more interesting names than the, the usual suspects in this Philly system. Uh, for this Yankee system, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on it, Tyler, because yeah. as much as we like the Yankee system, it, it seems like a lot of it, a lot of the players we really like came over in trades between yeah. Torres, Frazier, that kind of thing. Um, so when you look at the season out of the whole, what kind of stood out to you about them? Yeah, I mean, the the interesting, I think one of the most interesting storylines going into 2017 for the Yankees is going to be that first base battle because Tyler Austin had such a good year this year, 57 games with Scranton Wilkesbury, 50 games in double A with Trenton. Uh, his major league debut, he homered in his first at bat at Yankee Stadium. Um, in those two levels, he batted 294, hit 17 homers, 78 RBIs. But, you know, Greg Bird was kind of that guy before Tyler Austin was that guy. And Greg Bird played in the Arizona Fall League. He's going to be healthy going into 2017. Austin gets the recognition here. Um, So that is definitely a storyline to watch going forward. Um, The continued development of Jorge Mateo has been really exciting too. He spent 113 games with Class A Advanced Tampa. This past season, 2015, he stole 82 bases. Uh, This year, though, it seemed like he was a a bit more rounded. He batted 254. He only swiped 33 bags. He wasn't quite the same just total speed demon that we saw at Charleston the year before. But I think that's better because it seems like he's figuring out every other facet of his game, too. Uh, And similarly to that first base conversation, conversation is going to be interesting when it comes to Mateo because where does he go if Glaber Torres is the guy that you view as the shortstop of the future? How does that dynamic play out? Are they going to play middle infield? Are they going to climb the ranks together? They were at Tampa together. Will they be a second baseman and a shortstop next to each other for the foreseeable lengths of their career, or who is the one who has to be moved. Um, Aaron judge is a guy who we're going to talk about, you know, until the day that he is no longer considered a prospect, but the power is just so huge with him. 93 games with Scranton Wilkesbury. Then he spent 27 games uh, in the major leagues at the end of the season, 270, 19 homers, 65 RBIs. And he reached at a 366 rate for triple a Scranton Wilkesbury, which was again, a really good step, in those final finishing touches for a guy before he's ready for his major league debut. So that's exciting to see. But what has been so crazy about these Yankees prospects is when they graduate, 
the impacts that they've already made. I mean, obviously Gary Sanchez is going to be the guy that everybody talks about, but judge was similar in his success. Tyler Austin has that big debut. I mean, the things that they're able to do when they make it to the major leagues, that makes you really excited. If you're a Yankees fan waiting now on Clint Frazier and on Glaber Torres and some of these guys who are still making that climb and could conceivably be there, you know, certainly in Frazier's uh, situation could certainly be there in 2017. Yeah, and I think if you talk to any Yankees fan, I think they get more excited about, I mean, as we all do, we all get more excited about homegrown talent than we do, you know, the, the big splash free agency. Uh, so as much as, you know, Yankees, we, we tend to talk about them going out and signing, you know, whoever they can and splashing the cash around. Um, you know, w- when you're talking to fans, they like seeing guys like Judge. They love seeing Gary Sanchez. Uh, they love guys like Brett Gardner. Because these are guys they've been able to follow from the beginning to now, and they they come cheap. I mean, they if you have you know five homegrown guys in your starting lineup, that means you can spend more on the four that you had to go out for free agency or trade. So, uh, you know, if if this Yankees team starts to produce talent like it once did in the '90s, uh, that's a very scary prospect. Once some of these more expensive contracts start coming off the books. Strike three this week, Sam. Winter ball is underway all across the globe. Uh, we are really a month into play in a lot of these circuits. The Australian Baseball League just got started a couple weeks ago, but the Dominican Winter League, the Venezuelan Win- Winter League, uh, Puerto Rico, Mexico, we've got really good action in all of these circuits that's already been um, – you know, in progress, I think that people probably don't realize we're already a month plus into games in some of these leagues. But who stands out? We had a, a request on Twitter to talk specifically about some of the best talent in Australia. But there are a lot of guys to keep your eye on in all of these circuits. Yeah. So shout out to Craig McQuillan, who tweeted at me just asking for uh, our take on prospects sent to the ABL in Australia. I'll kind of let Tyler get to that because Tyler, if, for anybody who doesn't know, used to work with the ABL. Um, so he's. As far as I know, the ABL expert anywhere in the world. But um, <laughs> so I'll let you get to that. You're certainly the foremost expert on the ABL that I know. But uh, as far as all around, you know, the Caribbean leagues and that kind of thing, um, you know, just kind of scouting that, looking around at that. Uh, two guys kind of stand out to me, especially in the Dominican League. Uh, Manuel Margot, you know, entering now his first full off season in the Padres system. Uh, had a pretty good first year there, you know, at Triple A El Paso. Uh, hit 304, six homers, 30 stolen bases. Played an especially good center field for the, for the uh, Chihuahuas. Uh, obviously, got a call up to the the majors after roster expansions in September. Uh, got to enjoy a little bit of time there. I think they're really hoping he can kind of take that center field job there in San Diego. And so now he's playing in the Dominican. Off to a, a fairly solid start, 263, 303, 368 is his slash line. Uh, two homers and those eight stolen bases, so his speed is certainly playing down there. Uh, I'll be interested to see how the power's kind of coming along. Like I said, he, he only hit six homers this year in the PCL. Uh, not great for any level, but certainly not great in the PCL. Uh, but he's already got two down in the Dominican in much more limited playing time. So uh, is that part of his game coming along is that just going up against you know less advanced pitching we'll have to see how that kind of comes along the rest of the winter for him in the Dominican one other guy who is actually no longer playing in the Dominican but uh really stood out to me was Justin Haley uh Red Sox yeah, prospect I was say who same pitched, thing. yeah pitched in double a and triple a crazy numbers and an organization all-star as well right and uh during his time you know 
in the Dominican, he actually came back already. He tweeted that he's back uh, in in the United States, and then I think he got married, so that's a pretty good reason to to, to leave Winter League behind. But he posted a 0.38 ERA, had a 156 average against in 23 and two-thirds innings pitch for Escojito in the Dominican League. He's a guy who's actually Rule 5 eligible. Uh, the Red Sox did not protect him, did not add them to the, add him to their 40-man roster uh, ahead of the Rule 5 draft. So, you know, as much as we wanted to focus on prospects and, and guys and kind of track their progress uh, during the winter months that way, this is also another opportunity for a lot of these guys to show themselves off. I mean, we talk about that in the fall league. You're not just showing yourself off for, for your home team, for your home organization. You're showing it off for 29 other teams that can kind of trade for you. Uh, for the, in the case of Haley, you know, he's pitching for any team that could potentially take him in the Rule 5 draft, take a flyer on him. Uh, see how he put pitches in the back end of a major league rotation. Certainly impressed in that way, so good for him. Uh, it, when it comes to the ABL, uh, to finally answer your direct question there, Craig, uh, one guy I'm keeping my eye on playing for the Sydney Blue Sox, which is just, I, I think Blue Sox was always my backyard baseball team name, so <laughs> shout out to the Blue Sox, but is Stone Garrett. Uh, he's the number seven, I think, prospect in the in the Marlins system. You know, we've said this before, Marlins system is not great by any stretch of the imagination. It's kind of them and the Angels for, you know, worst farm system in the game right now. You might remember Garrett. He was the guy who was actually the victim in a knife prank by Josh Naylor, who is now part of the Padres organization uh, this summer. So he missed a bunch of games for that. Uh, he was the eight, He was an eighth-round pick in 2014. A guy who he could be a guy. He's got, you know, uh, so a decent run tool, a little bit of above average power. Uh, he's 6'2", 195, plays the outfield. So, you know, he's sending him to the AVL as a chance for him to not only make up for missed time, but also kind of build on what was a tough year for him. Only hit 213 in, in limited time, 52 games for Greensboro uh, with a 636 OPS. Uh, the early returns are certainly good. He's hitting 300, uh, 353 on base percentage, 467 slugging percentage in the first couple of handful games uh, down there for Sydney. So I'll kind of be tracking his progress, see how that goes uh, for him in the ABL. But like I said at the beginning of this this segment, Tyler, you're you're much more clued into that environment than I am. Uh, so what teams or players are you kind of looking out for for our uh, friends down under? Well, another couple of guys to keep your eye on uh, with Sydney are some Brewers prospects, Tucker Newhouse and Malik Collymore. And Collymore is leading the league in RBI so far through the first couple of rounds. The way the ABL plays its seasons, they only play games on weekends there. So they'll play generally a Thursday to a Sunday or a Friday to a Sunday series. If it starts on Friday, it'll have a double header. So the, the season will start in, or it's been in late October. Now it's early November and it'll go through mid-February. The game totals are not nearly as high as what you'll see in some of these other leagues because of that reason. Uh, but the the group that I really like the most is the group of Tampa Bay Rays prospects with the Brisbane Bandits. And there are no technical direct affiliations between major league teams and Australian league teams, but there are some ties between organizations uh, in Tampa Bay and Brisbane. That's been a pretty fruitful relationship over the last couple of years uh, for the bandits who won the league title last year. The, the prospect that I'm most excited to see actually has not played yet. And I'm not sure as to his current status, but Lucius Fox who was one of the largest signings on the international stage a couple of years ago, then by the San Francisco Giants, was actually traded to Tampa Bay, signed for $8.5 million. Uh, that is a name 
to keep an eye on because he is a very, very talented uh, young player, middle infielder. He was signed. That was, by the way, $8.5 million Australian dollars. It was $6.5 million U.S. dollars when he was signed, in case you were wondering. <laughs> um, but Lucius Fox is a really, really good talent, builds a lot of really good stuff for Batman in addition to his baseball skills, um, but has not say, played. Please. I had to get one terrible joke yeah. in there. He hasn't played a lot. That's the thing about Lucius Fox so far. Um, when he was signed, he didn't see a ton of action in his debut season. The Giants were really excited to see him get out there and get after it this year. Uh, but he gets dealt. Um, the the finish to 2016 is going to be an intriguing one if he plays a lot in the ABL. And again, his status right now hasn't played as of yet, but he was part of the Matt Moore deal back in August um, and was sent to Tampa Bay. So in total this year, played in 75 games for Augusta at 19 years old. He slashed 207, 305, 277. So not exactly a breakout debut season, but still really, really talented player. He also goes over there with Kevin Padlow. And Kevin Padlow is a former Colorado Rockies prospect who was also acquired in a trade by the Rays uh, in the Jake McGee deal last offseason. And this year, I think a midseason and postseason all-star in the Midwest League with Bowling Green started slow, finished really, really hot in the second half, and a pretty high ceiling for Kevin Padlow. He's started off really well so far this season uh, with Brisbane. I think he's already batting over 300 through his first eight games down there. So there are different pockets of talent and that's what's kind of interesting about the abl is you know in seasons past the baltimore orioles have sent really good prospects to perth seattle mariners have ties with adelaide sydney's had ties with uh various organizations the detroit tigers now the milwaukee brewers the houston astros have been through their times before these organizations on the major league side kind of find situations that they seem to be amenable to with the location of uh, a team in, in correlation sometimes to how far away scouts and team personnel are who live in Australia, who can keep an eye on what the talent is doing. That's been sent over by the major league club. So it's an interesting dynamic between those two circuits, the ABL this past uh, Australian off season. So during the Northern hemisphere season uh, control was shifted from major league baseball to baseball Australia, the governing body for the sport in Australia. So with that, things have changed in terms of how long, how long the season is game totals, uh, the way the schedule is laid out, all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a transitional year for the ABL, but the talent certainly seems to be just as good as it's been in any other season. Yeah, for sure. And I, I feel like a better person for having you explained all that. <laughs> Uh, ABL questions, you know. Yeah, I know. Seriously, like, I don't think the ABL is something that until I really got into this job, it was not something I paid attention to at all. It wasn't even something I was generally aware of, maybe outside of a passing reference here and there. So, um, you know, as much as we like to focus on the Caribbean, because uh, there's a lot of really interesting talent there, uh, some old talent as well. Some, if you ever want to pour through. Uh, Dominican Winter League box score, you might see a name that you had completely forgot about, like Ruben Gotai. That's what happened with me. Uh, those are always fun, but don't forget about you know Australia and uh, what's happening down there. And um, not only for Australian prospects and uh, people who actually you know are from that country, but also the the guys who get sent down there for a little extra time. It's a younger league. Um, the the average talent there is not quite as good as what you're going to see in you know especially in the Dominican or in Venezuela, um, but even in Puerto Rico and, and the Mexican Pacific League. But because it's a younger league, so many of these guys are still kind of getting themselves figured out. Adelaide had a 16 year old, a local kid, make a start the other day, and I think he won ABL Pitcher of the Week. So there's some really really cool stuff that goes on in the ABL. So uh, and also you know, if you're an insomniac, uh, the phenomenal 
Andrew Reynolds, who heads up the multimedia department there, uh, put a platform together a few seasons ago to stream every game live on YouTube. It's all free. So if you don't sleep or if you just find yourself up in the middle of the night over a weekend, chances are there are one or more ABL games on for you to keep you keep you occupied and uh, keep baseball in your life, which is something we all need in December. And uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of Three Strikes, episode number 86 of the show before the show. Coming up, we are going to head to Louisville, Kentucky, and talk a little groundskeeping with the head man in that position for the Louisville Bats. Tom Nielsen joins the show next. Well, the offseason always gives us an opportunity to explore some avenues in minor league baseball that we might not get a chance to talk about during the season. And with that in mind, we head to Louisville, Kentucky, in the home of the Louisville Bats, where we catch up with the head groundskeeper for the Bats, Tom Nielsen, who is one of the legendary guys in his field of minor league baseball. Tom, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, thanks. Legendary. I don't know about that. But, uh, thanks anyways. Well, tell us a little bit about what the off season is like for you right now. We're going to talk about what it's like in season and all the requirements that go into your job. But right now, off season, I mean, especially, you know, so many teams at this time of year are getting ready for holiday gatherings at ballparks or they're resodding a field or they're regrading an infield, that type of stuff. I mean, what for a head groundskeeper in the off season, you've been with the bats for 18 years now in Louisville. You've been a, more, a member of the sports, sports turf management. Managers Association for 20 years. You've got innumerable connections throughout this industry. But this time of year, people would probably think baseball season's over. You just sort of mow it and keep it maintained. That's not the case. I mean, what is this time of year like for you? No, I mean, that's that's a lot of people think that, you know, but what we do at this time of the year um, shows up during the summer. So if, if the wrong thing is done at the wrong time, you definitely notice it when the, the stress is uh, really put on the grass. So if you don't do the right things now, you know, fertilizing and, and you know, let's say doing irrigation work, making sure irrigation is um, working properly or putting uh, growth blankets on, um, we, we cover the whole field. It's almost like a greenhouse. It, it, it helps uh, kind of regulate the, the temperature of the grass. It never gets too too cold. And that's the biggest thing is, with with my field, I have uh, Bermuda grass, so it's warm season grass. What we don't want it to do is uh, get too cold, so that uh, we have troubles uh, in the summer where the grass is the Bermuda didn't make it through the winter. So what we're doing now is we're trying to m- ensure that the the health of the grass is going to be as as good as we possibly can get it by the time it comes out of dormancy and and is ready to take on all the events besides you know just baseball there's a lot of other things that go on most of the fields nowadays so you know it, our jobs would be easy if it was just uh, baseball um it's they're multi multi-use facilities now so it's uh, this time of the year is really important and we get a little bit you know no, more normal um hours you know this is when we are able to get home a little bit early and you know see the family a little bit more and you know, take, take some vacations. And this is where we do a lot of our, uh, um, like the STMA, they have a big convention this year. It's going to be down in Florida. So we get to meet and, and see all the groundskeepers that, uh, all across the whole country and the whole United, uh, the whole world uh, all meet up for the, the STMA and we get to share ideas and, uh, you know, just kind of 
get together again. It's like a big family reunion. So it's a lot of fun. This is what, you know, this time of the year is when we get to do a lot of that kind of stuff. And I'm glad so. you said now is the time you guys kind of get normal hours. Cause I, I wanted to ask, I mean, a lot of people out there, you know, they only get to get into the park an hour and a half, an hour before game time <laughs> at the best. You know, what is your daily ins and outs of, of you know, being a minor league groundskeeper? Yeah. You know, when are you showing up? Most, when are you leaving? That kind of stuff. In it, well, weather depending and if there's an event going on, you know, it, it changes. But most of the time we're there between 730 and 8 o'clock. And if there's a, if there's a home game going on uh, and getting home – you know, 11 o'clock, 1130 at night. Um, so they're, they're really, really long hours. So when, you know, my family, if they want to really see me a lot of times, they've got to come to the ballpark and, uh, you know, it gets, it, the players always, you know, say that their season's really long. Well, our season's just as long and we don't get to sleep in until you know, 11, 12 o'clock and come to the ballpark at two o'clock. Uh, so ours is just as grueling, if not more grueling <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, uh, it's, I would, wouldn't change it. I mean, I think I get the best job in the world. Um, I, I just love being outside and, uh, and you get to see your, you know, the result of your, your hard work immediately, which is very nice. You know, at the end of the day, you walk around the ballpark. And you say, wow, you know, people come up to you, field looks great, field looks great. And, you know, most of the time it does, but, you know, you know, there, there's times that it doesn't, you know, you put a lot of events on, on the field, the field isn't going to be able to withstand everything that they want to put on it. So you got to kind of take the bad with the good. And, uh, you know, if the field's looking really bad, I just say that's my assistant's uh, fault for that. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Anything bad is my assistant. Everything good is mine. No, oh, of course, that's yeah. the thing is I get, I get blamed for, you know, I'm judged solely on what the field looks like, even though when the field's looking bad, we're actually working a lot harder. You know, we're, we're trying to do a lot more things, you know, airifications and, and trying to figure out what's going on or having to repair turf. But when it's looking really good, that's that's when it's easy, you know. So, you know, people say, wow, you know, what's what's wrong in the field? And, you know, you don't want to make excuses. But, you know, there's a lot of events that are going on. Most of the time, people don't notice it. You know, I notice it. And the groundskeepers notice it. We're very, very uh, anal about every little detail about what the field looks like. So, you know, I have a hard time watching the game because uh, if it's not perfect, I don't, I just have a hard time relaxing and just watching a baseball game. Very seldom do I sit up there and watch the game because I can't watch it. I, I'm, I'm watching every bounce. Is it a good bounce? Is it a bad bounce? Is, are they slipping? You know, it's, it's very hard. I'd rather listen to it on the radio. And a lot, a lot of times that's what I'll do is I'll go back into my office and just turn on the radio because then I don't, I can kind of, you know, get away from it a little bit, but still stay in, you know, in tune with what's going on. Um, well, that segues us really perfectly into a question that I was going to ask you about those events that are not just baseball games. I, when I was uh, back in, in a different era of my career, got to work with a guy who's now with you in the International League and Chris Ball uh, when he was in Myrtle Beach and won, yeah, I think, yeah. six straight Carolina League yeah. Field of the Year awards. And, uh, and Butter's thing was always that you don't really know. It's a living, breathing organism. 
you think about a field and you think about it's, it's just a, a place where guys go out and they play and that's what it is. But when it's, you know, a hundred and plus games a year, when you take into account the fact that high school, everyone, play, all of that type of stuff, there's so much away from just Louisville bats games. I mean, you, what, what kind of stuff you do you are have to do with? correct? Well, you know, one thing like you're saying, you know, there's so much that goes into it. Everybody has a lawn at home. So everybody thinks they can cut grass. Exactly. <laughs> you put a few events on it. Have one picnic in your backyard where you're playing cornhole or you're playing croquet and see what your yard looks like after, you know, a few hours of, you know, your friends coming over and then do that every day, you know, for, you know, weeks on end. Um, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to, to and that's why we got to keep the grass growing so aggressively. But one thing about gr- having grass that's very healthy and very succulent that you know the disease likes that too the grass will get diseases so we're you know we're putting a lot you know fungicides on it and just trying to keep it from from dying because there are turf diseases that can literally take out a turf overnight and that's a lot of stress (laughs) that's a lot and people don't realize that they they don't think my job would be very stressful but like you said a living breathing thing so you know, just like anybody, when you start to get worn out or tired, you're not very, very strong. You can't, you know, you get a cold, you know, very easier. You know, if your immune system's down because you're, you're weak, that's the same with the turf. If it's been beaten down and, and all the stress has been put on it and it's it's just been worn out, it, it can uh, it can go downhill very fast. And usually it's in time with the temperature. Well, the hotter it gets, it's more stress and usually more of Events. You know, once the middle of the summer is really going, uh, you know, it could be a, a, a ball rolling downhill in a bad way. Um, but that's why we, we don't take many days off. I mean, you would think, well, what can happen in one day? It's amazing what can happen overnight if, if, if you missed, uh, you know, an irrigation a zone didn't or a, a head didn't pop up and area could be you know, dry. And, and if you have to go a whole nother day with it being on the dry side, you know, that grass can decline and, and die and, and really see if the effects of just one day of, of missing something or, or, or not catching a disease. And then you spread that over the field because you didn't, you weren't out there for that one day or walked every inch, you know, into the grass. We walk and go over every bit of that grass just about every single day, especially when, like my mower, whoever's mowing will basically be scanning everything. And so they're really looking at it. And then, you know, walking it whenever we're, we're, you know, throughout the day, the grass is changing because the temperature is going up. And so the grass, you know, it's, it's each part of the field is maybe, you know, even dries out different or gets a little bit more sunlight, so you have to treat it differently. It's 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 definitely a handful, and I think a lot of these young groundskeepers get into it, or they they graduate from school, you know, with their four-year degrees, and uh, feel like, hey, I'm ready to be a head groundskeeper. Well, what's funny is they just know enough to be dangerous, and and I've been in this for 25 years, and I'm still learning stuff every day. And and I think if I look back at this and realize how much and how much stress it was going to be, maybe maybe I might have changed my mind on what I was going to do because I you know I always thought it, this was going to be a piece of cake. You know, the more I the the more I did it, 
the easier it was going to get. Well, actually, it seems like the more I know, the more the less I know. And I just keep finding there's new problems and new things to worry about that you didn't realize, in the, in, you know, before. So it's, you know, it's it's definitely stressful. And it's nice as, you know, I get, like, with my crew, most of these guys want to do this for a living. So I've got young guys that are very enthusiastic, very smart, just getting out of school. And so they teach me as much as I can teach them. You know, I can teach them, you know, a lot of things about communications, you know, communicating with people and and the different problems you might come upon because I've done it so many times. Just coming in for an internship where you're, you're there, you know, for a couple months, that's, that's just a very small sliver of what they, they need to, to know. But once they start working full time, you know, that's when it helps me because then I can, you know, really teach these guys and, and they can teach me, you know, the new, the new science behind things and just their enthusiasm really gets me fired up each year. I get this new group of kids that, you know, that have this, you know, this gleam in their eye and they're just ready to, to learn. And, and, you know, so I can't, I got to go a hundred percent because it's not fair for them uh, that if, if I'm not giving them everything that I have, you know, and, and the more I can teach them, the better they make me look and the easier it is for me to do my job because I give them more responsibility. They, they uh, learn, learn more. And then when they go on to have their own field, it's like one of my kids going off, you know, leaving the nest and, and, and growing up on their own. And it's, it's, a, it makes me, that's, that's probably the biggest thing that, you know, really gets me, you know, excited about what I do is these, these young kids that come out each year. Nice. Um, well, one thing I, I always wanted to talk. To I don't know if I ended at, at, did I answer your question? Yeah, no, I think I was good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that for was sure. Oh, no, I no, forgot no, what the good. original no, like we said, like we don't get to do this very often. So, you know, it, it's cool to have this is all information we don't have. I know a lot of people listening uh, don't have a groundskeeper. They can just talk to on the regular either. Um, so there's two questions I always wanted to ask a groundskeeper myself was uh, and they're both kind of dealing with customization. Uh, one, have you ever had a player or you know a specific uh, group of players, anything like that, give you instru- not instructions on how to do your job, but telling you they like the grass a certain way? I remember I, I used to work in Boston, and a certain infielder was telling the groundskeeper he wanted the grass high you know, to keep the ball down and make it easier for him to get the ground balls. Um, so that's my first yeah, question. I, I mean, they, they, they just want it consistent. You know, they want a ball that's going to hop the same way and roll the same way wherever it is on the field that they, they know what it's going to do. But there are times where maybe you look at a very powerful hitting the ball down a lot and hunting a tilting face pass a little bit. So if they do hit one down the line, it's going to stay, it's going to stay a lot better chance of staying or, you know, soften up in front of a plate where you got a pitcher that throws a lot of sinkers and they're going to hit the ball down into the ground. They want that ball to, to not hit the, the clay and bounce over the pitcher's head or the second baseman's head, the infielders. They want it to, to stay down on the ground. So I'll soften you. We can soften that up. You know, adding more water, adding more uh, conditioner, just making that, that in front a little soft. But for the most part, we, you know, even the bullpen mound, you know, I've heard of, you know, the bullpen mound on the visitor side will be 
much different than the main hunt. So they'll practice and warm up on the bullpen and then they'll go to the main. It's not like it's maybe the first inning or so. They're really struggling on trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, how, how to get that ball to go. You know, I think for the most part, even my bullpens are everything is the same. I think, uh, you know, there's the ballpark and knowing, you know, the different little curves in, in you know, parts of the off-field and, and maybe uh, our, our grass might be a little bit shorter. You know, there's been years in the past that the managers complained about how long my grass is because of the climate that I'm in. I had to, and I had to grow taller. I couldn't stand being mowed so short. And he would complain and complain. He said, this is the longest grass you know, that I've ever played on, which is it's just not true. Cause I think the longest I ever grew, it was about an inch and a half. And he thought that I would just keep mowing it as short as I possibly can. But if I mow it too short, then it's going to struggle. It's going to die. It's not going to play very unhappy with that. And I, they've actually said that he said, well, yeah, we would be, well, I said, I'm pretty much damned if I do and damned if I don't. <laughs> and, uh, in that case, but, um, you know, the last few years are, are the managers, not a complaint, never, you know, what's nice not to, to hear anything, you know, it's nice to hear good, good things, but, uh, you know, not hearing anything at all is just as, just as good because then they're not complaining either. So we right. don't, we don't, we don't want necessarily want to get patted on the back. We just don't want, we want to make it is them as happy as they, they, you know, cause the better they feel, you know, the more comfortable they're going to play, be playing out there. When they come home, they're going to play more comfortably because they feel that, oh, this, this field is really plays. You know, the, it's in a lot of it's just in your head. You know, the guys, I'll say, you know, they are complaining about, uh, let's say, maybe the the bumps, maybe the, the infield got a little bumpy. And then, you know, I told them that I rolled it and did some things to it and added more water. And, and then they, the next game, Oh, it was so much better. It was, I just, it was perfect. And I did the same thing I do every single time, but in their head, they, they, <laughs> maybe I'm telling my secrets. Maybe some ball players are listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we would hope they so. are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but the other thing I wanted to get to too is, um, you know, one thing that I think stands out to a lot of fans at least is always the, kind of the wackier designs in, in the outfield and, you know, what can you get away with, you know, checkerboards, um, slashes, whatever you want to do. What's, what's the wackiest? Or, dude. Yeah. What, what's well, the we coolest? Put the Ford, or we put the like Ford that? Lee out in Starfield um, for quite a while ago. Many patterns, you know, like I said, Bermuda grass, and we cut it between a half an inch and you know, maybe three quarters about the, the tallest we cut it And the grass does not, the Bermuda grass doesn't uh, show a pattern very long. And what it is, when you see a pattern like that, it's longer, usually cool season grass lays down and it'll lay down and the sun reflects off that leaf shade. And then, and, and when you see the light part of it, it's, uh, the light stripe, the sun's reflecting going up. The dark uh, grass is the sun re light reflecting on it and going down into the ground. Well, 
the longer the leaf blade, the more reflection there is. Now, when you cut it at a half an inch, there's not much grass to show the reflection of the, the, the sun, and it doesn't lay down for very long. Maybe right after I mow it, you'll see it, but then by the time the game gets there, it's all stood back up. So it doesn't do much good to spend a lot of time putting patterns in. Like the northern teams, the nor- northern climates that have cool season grass will spend a lot of time. And I actually never want a field of the year on my patterns. You know, it's, you know, it's, it is, it's more for the fans than anybody, you know, and, you know, that's one downfall about having uh, warm season grass is I can't put quite the intricate designs because it just doesn't stay in there. So then, you know, maybe the fans don't say, well, what, what, what's, doing well we're not really doing anything it's a, it's a different type of turf it just doesn't let us do that as much because then we can spend where most of the play is on the clay anyway 75 of all the play is on the clay just most of the time of the play consistent as we possibly that is from the transition from grass to play has to be perfect and so it takes a lot to make that consistent. So it's it's almost because now we can concentrate more on the areas that are really more important, even though everyone only sees the pattern. That's that's one of the smaller and amount of importance that we put is the the pattern because it's it just doesn't fit the ball player. There's the ball's role. So the pattern and the more the ball is going to snake, and the more the player will won't like it because the snake's so bad. The grain of the grass will actually lay down and the ball really move. And, and, and I've actually heard some of the major league teams complain about some of the patterns because it snakes so bad. So that's another reason why we, we don't uh, do that. We used to. Tom Nielsen is the head groundskeeper for the Louisville Bats of the AAA International League and uh, has been one of the guys who's been at the uh, the forefront of his industry for a long time, 18 seasons with Louisville. And, uh, Tom, before we let you go, for, for guys who were growing up who were, you know, in your circumstance, when you were 10, uh, you kind of got to work on, on your family's own surroundings and, and got started on this track. If, if there are kids out there listening who want to get into a career or people who are in high school or in college, Call got a little me. bit of experience. Yeah, Call I mean, what's, me. what's the best route? <laughs> for those guys and for those you ladies i should me. say not just guys for those oh, yeah. ladies I've, I've had women on my crew too and and they're great they're very particular and it's it's good to have uh uh women on on the crew and there's some women head groundskeepers in the majors so it's not just a male male uh business it's definitely the the women are starting to to come on and and they they do a great job but uh I think uh, just interning, you know, volunteering, you know, coming to the ballpark, they can call me and anytime they can come and, and spend a day at the ballpark and see if it's something that they'd like to do. I, I never turn anyone away. Um, and that, that's how a lot of my guys is. I'll, I might interview them uh, two or three days where they just come and work on the field. And then, and then maybe I hire them because then they can get an idea if this is something they really want to get into or if this is something you know someone that i think will work good with our crew because we work so close together it is really really important that personalities all kind of blend in because one person on a on a crew that isn't getting along really put a damper on the whole crew but uh the best way to do it to to 
get involved is is volunteer at uh, one of the local minor league teams or or even the major league teams. Uh, I think a lot of those guys, if you ask them, they are really open to having guys come out and see what it's all about. And then, uh, you know, in turn, and, uh, you know, a lot of, most of them, I've had guys change their careers that were studying one other, you know, something else and end up changing into, you know, sports trip. You can get degrees in sports turf management, a lot of universities all over. So it's, uh, I've, I've loved every minute of it. And uh, I sure, sure I'm glad that I get to talk about it a little bit because as you can see if you give me a chance to talk about what I do I will just keep going <laughs> hey we're the same way man we're the same way yeah. Tom Nielsen is the head groundskeeper for the Louisville Bats of the AAA International League and uh, really great to get a chance to talk to you Tom and and for anybody out there I mean it's like any career in baseball be tenacious get your foot in the door somehow and you can make a whole lot of things happen from yep. there and uh, Tom we really appreciate the time and thanks for some insight into one of the things that I know a lot of people are really interested in and don't know quite as much about and uh, it's great to get a chance to talk to you well thanks for having me and anytime you want groundskeeping give me a holler we will thanks um absolutely Well, there's been a whole lot of discussion as of the last few weeks pertaining to the 2016 baseball winter meetings, which are set to take place from December 4th through the 8th in National Harbor, Maryland. And we bring in Benjamin Hill to discuss the winter meetings from our perspective, which is a little bit different than from the national perspective that you may have been hearing about. So, Ben, what's going on? How are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. Do I, do I have a theme song yet? Uh, not yet. We're working on it. It's being composed. Okay, okay. <laughs> Having a composer work on I'm it. I'm just going to have to write my own theme songs. Yeah, well... Why that, we that never the very well, that's first, an obvious choice. Oh, yeah, true. The very first episode that we ever did, Ben kind of gave himself a theme song, and then we used it for the next episode, and then I think we were told not to use it again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that's too bad. I'll but, have to up my game. But yeah. for now, I'll just do uh, – how about uh, Black Sabbath, Electric Funeral? Okay. That'll be my theme song. Hey, I'm Ben Hill. Hi, Ben. Hi. Okay, so the winter meetings, there are a lot more things that go on at the winter meetings than what the average fan probably realizes. When you think of the winter meetings, you think of dudes signing big contracts and big trades going down and big transactions that are going to impact the major league season, especially for 2017, minor league season as well. But there's a lot more that goes on around all of that. And as the discussion goes, and unfortunately, we're, we're recording this ahead of the deadline for the Major League Baseball Collective Bargaining Agreement, which we're recording on Wednesday the 30th. Deadline is tonight, so hopefully we'll wake up tomorrow and there will be labor peace and we'll be all set to go with a new CBA for 2017. If that does not happen, there is a chance that the Major League side of the winter meetings will not go forth as scheduled as we've come to know it in years past. But on the minor league side, that's not the case. So, Ben, tell us about the winter meetings from our perspective. Well, the winter meetings, I think it's very important to remember um, that it's a minor league event. Minor league baseball organizes it. They choose the sites. They handle all the logistics. And in essence, major league baseball is a guest of minor league baseball at the event. So while the average fan understandably just thinks of the winter meetings in terms of the media coverage and uh, the hot stove and the transactions and the trades and all the executives in one place and uh, all the maneuvering and all that sort of thing, that is what gets all the attention, but that uh, proportionally to what the meetings actually is, 
is a very small segment of what's taking place. And uh, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen now with the CBA. Um, but you know, I've been seeing people on Twitter saying things like, "Well, would the meetings be canceled?" And uh, of course not, not even close to being canceled because, as I said, this is a minor league event, and there's so much minor league business to take care of. It's just like major leagues uh, just took all the. Uh, I don't want to say took all the glory, but they, they get all the attention. It's what the average person cares about most. But I'm here in my usual role of uh, talking about what people care about the least. And that is uh, – no, not what people care about the least, you know. But uh, how – care, Ben. Yes, and I care deeply too. Uh, but it's, it's really about um, the minor league baseball industry getting together and doing a variety of things. And um, I'm writing a story now. It will be up on the site uh, at the time this podcast goes live, uh, kind of detailing what a typical winter meetings is like uh, from the minor league baseball perspective, which is the perspective of most uh, attendees. And, um, you know, when you – Sunday through uh, Wednesday – you know, you go you go to the uh, the banquet on Sunday and you see the King of Baseball honored. In the last couple of years, the commissioner has been interviewed. Um, the major league commissioner has been interviewed during that event. Uh, on Monday, there's the opening session and the speeches by Pat O'Connor, the sort of minor league baseball state of the union type event. Um, the trade show kicks off that night and then runs all Tuesday and Wednesday. You know, your one stop shop for all your baseball needs. If you can think of a product related to the world of baseball, and in a lot of cases, a product you never think of, it's at the trade show. And uh, almost all the vendors there are catering to minor league baseball people and uh, the needs of minor league teams. And so, you know, that goes on. The PBEO job fair, the vast majority of those jobs are in minor league baseball. Uh, you know, the, the vast majority of the, the teams hiring are, of course, minor league baseball teams. Uh, that will be proceeding apace, you know, almost not affected at all. Um, and, of course, all the league meetings. You, know, you think of some any conglomeration of minor league executives and they're meeting in some form uh, during the week. You know, general managers of leagues, all-star game planning committees, uh, what have you. All that will still be going on. Uh, of course, the gala will still take place on Wednesday night when everyone kind of lets off steam and there's an open bar. And this year's gala is taking place at Nationals Park, so that should be a, a fun one. Um, so on and on and on. Uh, you know, I'll detail this in my minor league baseball or in my story tomorrow on MILB.com. But that is the winter meetings in its purest form or in its most common form is all the things I just mentioned, which has little to nothing to do with Major League Baseball and uh, you know, really nothing to do with uh, the results of the uh, – whether or not they figure out a new CBA or not. And, and when you're at this thing uh, next week, you know, I think, what are you, how many of these have you been to in the past? This will be my 10th one. There we go. So in the ones you've been into the past and for your plans for next week, who are you gravitating toward or who, where exactly do you kind of set up shop for these things? I know there's a big lobby that the media tends to be in, but all the, you know, they're not there for the minor league stuff, like you said. Um, you know, where are you kind of headed day by day for this thing? You know, I, I'm a total anomaly at this event because there's a huge media room with hundreds of uh, people in the media, and they're basically all tracking major league transactions. And I feel like I'm the only guy not doing that. And therefore, my experience is completely different than the average media experience. And it's also different for me in that news doesn't break on the minor league side during the meetings. Um, there's or I can't think of an instance in, in which it has in which I've been covering it. So I'm not waiting for something to happen. I just know what's happening, and I just sort of have to do my best to find a way to document it. So it can get a little repetitive for me year to year because it is what it is. Um, so I'm never in one place for too long. Uh, Monday is the Bob Friedis Business Seminar. 
uh, kind of like the minor league baseball promotional seminar. Uh, there's all sorts of presentations really to all aspects of the baseball business. Um, you know, usually I try to cover something from that last year. I happened you know, to be looking at the schedule and one of the topics was drone usage in minor league baseball, um, presented by minor league baseball's director of security, Ernell Lucas. So I was like, I'll go to that. And I found it. That was a really interesting story last year. Yeah. Yeah, I found it absolutely fascinating on security issues, on teams using drones themselves to get images of the ballpark. They otherwise wouldn't on umpire procedures for stopping a game if a drone is flying over the ballpark. And I, as it went on, within 20 minutes, I said, wait a second, I have a story here. This is interesting. So I write, wrote a story about that. Um, and I'm not doing it this year uh, to the scope I've done in other years, but uh, the Job Seeker Journals, uh, you know, having uh, job seekers chronicle their experiences. I'm not doing it as full on as I have in, in the past, but I'll certainly chronicle uh, or profile job seekers, why they're here, what sort of position they're looking for, um, you know, because there are hundreds of job seekers and that is tough uh, being a job seeker at the winter meetings, but it is a unparalleled experience for getting that, you know, your foot in the door, so to speak. So, you know, I'll keep an eye out for that. The trade show, you know, of course I'll be wandering through the trade show. Um, I don't, I, I generally look for the most, uh, you know, bizarre products or just the things we were like, whoa, you know, what is that? Um, you know, uh, it, last year I remember um, being kind of fascinated by ball washers, <laughs> this, uh, you know, uh, contraption where you take dirty ball, dirty baseballs and uh, and uh, you, you you could throw them in this ball washer and make them clean, you know, for your batting practice needs and, and things like that. Uh, I remember getting samples of a product called Huppo, I believe it was, H-U-P-P-O, which was kind of uh, to present uh, prevent chafing, you know, for athletes. And I think I still have some Huppo in my closet somewhere. Uh, you can get samples of herbal snuff, you know, as a tobacco alternative, because obviously that's banned in minor league baseball. And uh, anyone who might be trying to quit might want to go in that direction. And on and on and on. So uh, there's a, a lot going on, and and for me too, and like for everyone covering the meetings or attending the meetings, um, it, it's the one time of the year where everyone in this industry is in the same place. So outside of anything I cover or don't cover, um, it's really important for me to be there and for so many people to be there because you meet new people, you establish connections. And uh, so a lot of, I'd say, the material I get from the winter meetings isn't something related to the winter meetings itself. It's based on conversations I have there and people I meet and things I can utilize going forward. Well, um, just kind of go, to go back to what you were saying earlier about it maybe being a little repetitive on your side. You can't necessarily forecast uh, or, you know, while other people are sitting there waiting for things to happen, um, you're kind of going out and making them happen. But can you foresee any kind of theme that could potentially come out of these winter meetings from having these many minor league clubs, execs, whatever, all together in one place? Um, can you see something that's going to be, you know, a talking point or something that everybody's going to come together over over these particular winter meetings? Um, I'm not I'm not sure about that. If there'll be a, a unifying theme, because I think with minor league baseball in general, um, you know, 160 teams, so many different market sizes, and uh, you know, operating philosophies that you know anything in minor league baseball is often when you're trying to. Uh, summarize it industry-wide, it's often you know, uh, summed up by the cliche of herding cats. Not herding them, herding them. Herd. You know, it's very hard to herd cats. And so we use that, uh, that uh, cliche to describe um, you know, minor league baseball as an industry sometimes in terms of getting everyone on the same page because there's such a diverse array of entities within it. So it's hard for unifying themes to emerge. I think the, the biggest thing in terms of themes is you know, uh, the opening session uh, when there's a series of species uh, – a series of speeches, not a series of species, a series of speeches. And, you know, Pat O'Connor, minor league baseball president, he always speaks. And he kind
kind of sets the tone for highlighting uh, successes of the past year, but also things that he wants the industry to be focusing on going forward. Uh, last year, you know, he put an emphasis on security in, in various ways. We live in a more dangerous world now and how teams can respond, um, you know, to uh, increased security needs they might need. And also that also security could also tie into, you know, netting and the fact that teams are putting up more and more safety netting at the ballpark and, uh, you know, addressing issues like that. Uh, but in terms of a theme where we'll look back on this meetings and say, oh, that was the winter meetings of this, uh, I don't think that's really likely because there's so many different agendas at play and it's more of a hyper-specific gathering and that people are dealing with the issues that they particularly need to deal with uh, at an event in which everyone's there at the same time. So there's a lot of subgroups within this massive overall group that is the minor league baseball industry. Ben, one of the things that uh, came out this week that kind of ties into that, I mean, it's it's so often that we hear stories like this and they don't ever really get old for us, but this is from uh, just yesterday, I believe. Yeah, just yesterday. Uh, the dateline is St. Petersburg, Florida. It's from the MILB home offices. Minor League Baseball is recently named league with the most family-friendly game event experience in the 12th Annual Sports Business Journal Sports Business Daily Reader Survey. The online surveys were conducted from October 17th to November 4th, 2016. More than 1,000 SBJ, SBD subscribers having participated this is really cool it's a second straight year in which minor league baseball took home that award in that category so i guess the question is with so much that goes right the the constant conversation around minor league baseball is how good the state of the game is new ballparks there's fantastic fan involvement the 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 attendance is better than ever family friendly prices all the stuff that's so positive does it ever feel like there is a the window for all of the stuff that Pat O'Connor and those guys want teams focused on, does it feel like that gets smaller or do you feel like there's constantly an evolving list of everything that there, there's always something for teams to be working on. There's always something for ownership to be working on. How does that dynamic play out? Well, affordable family entertainment is going to be the name of the game regardless. That's always what it is. But the ways in which you are doing your best to uh, maximize that product is going to change with the times. And if again, we revert to cliche because it's the best thing to revert to sometimes when you're trying to make a point. But it's been often said that you know, minor league baseball is a reflection of America or baseball is a reflection of America. And that certainly holds true for minor league baseball. So I think whenever you look at what the issues are in society, those are going to be the issues in a lot of ways that minor league baseball has to deal with it. Like I mentioned that in, uh, in terms of security issues that, that were addressed last year. Um, you know, Pat O'Connor has uh, for years you know, worked on the the diversity initiative to get more minor, minority hiring in minor league baseball. And, um, you know, that's not just a feel-good thing or something that, that, that we should focus on. Um, just strictly as a pragmatic thing, that's it's very important because you have to be aware of shifting demographics and how many uh, families are you providing affordable entertainment for if you're not reaching out to as many as you can, or you're neglecting huge segments of your community. So um, there's going to be a lot of uh, things such as that. And you look at the issues affecting America, and, and, and that's uh, how does minor league baseball adjust? That's, that's the constant question. All right. So, Ben, we, I, you know, we should have probably brought this up when we were talking about the winter meetings, but I didn't want to let you go without bringing this up. Uh, you've been tweeting the last two days that apparently the piano bar is a big draw at uh, the winter meetings amongst minor league clubs and minor league folks. Any possible idea why that might be? <laughs> That's just a, a, a pet question of mine that I've had for a long time, and I haven't found a real discernible reason. But bef 
before I started working this job and then getting to attend the two main industry events, the promo seminar and the winter meetings, I'm not sure if I'd ever been to a piano bar before. I've now been to dozens in cities all over the country because every industry event inevitably ends at a piano bar without fail. And sometimes I think there's probably not going to be a piano bar nearby, and then there always is. It's almost like it magically appears for the minor league baseball crowd. So if you're at the winter meetings and you want to meet people in minor league baseball, yeah, Bobby McKee, someone Bobby mentioned McKees. that on Twitter uh, to me today. I guess that's where it's going to be uh, at this year's iteration in National Harbor. Uh, I don't know. I guess if you think of minor league baseball and the people who work within it as uh, – you know, people who like fun, interactive entertainment for what they do. I guess the piano bar maybe offers a little bit more of that spark. Um, also, people in minor league baseball might like to drink, um, and piano bars are good places to drink. And uh, it, it's I enjoy it. I don't seek piano bars out in my day-to-day life, but the minor league baseball industry loves piano bars. And uh, impress your friends with that little fact. <laughs> now we all know. Croc Rocks in Myrtle Beach. Crocodile Rocks, that was the... Uh... That was the one. Like, it's not just executives and people who work in front offices. Whatever the players were like addicted to that place. I don't know what it is. Piano bars. Who knows? It's a minor league baseball thing, I guess. Yeah, there's a whole a whole separate culture that I've sort of learned about yeah. piano bars uh, that uh, I'd never really related to. It's interesting. And uh, like the whole thing with like college fight songs and people starting to pay yeah. this amount of money to get their fight song played over rival schools. And I'm always just like, sorry guys. I'm always like, you suckers. Who cares about your college? <laughs> Why don't you just throw so your money, keep the money and do something else with it, like buy food or more beverages? No, nah, I'm always like suckers. But hey, to each his own. I'm sure there's a lot of ways in which I spend my money that people would be like, what a sucker. We're all suckers. We're all just a different form of sucker. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> not, that's not anything I'll disagree with. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz. Also, the new look Ben's Biz blog is up now, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. We've migrated over to Medium. Everything looks fantastic on that blog and the Mill Perspective blog. And, uh, Ben, good stuff. Enjoy National Harbor, Maryland. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, of course, check out Ben's Biz blog uh, with the new look. I put up my first post um, on Medium just yesterday. Uh, my uh, focus thus far has been just kind of getting organized. Some of the tags didn't migrate, and I'm just trying to get all my road trip tags organized and make sure it's as user-friendly as possible. So if you are a reader of Ben's Biz blog, which I'd hope that you are, uh, get in touch anytime to let me know uh, what you think about the new blog, uh, what you like, what you don't like, and make sure to follow me on uh, Twitter, Ben's Biz, and on the Medium blog itself. You can now follow the blog directly, and thank you, as always. All right, Ben, we'll talk to you post-meetings. We might actually talk to you from the meetings, I guess, but either way, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, let's talk during the meetings. Let's I'll have do a lot it. to say. Sounds good. Talk to you then. All right. Final segment of episode number 86. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz. You can get all of the latest and greatest from the winter meetings through Ben and also through Sam. What a segue that was. I know. I didn't I didn't really bring that up when Ben was here, but we'll kind of be together. He obviously will be doing his own thing, uh, you know, covering the business side. And like he said, there's not many people doing that. So Ben is certainly your man for that. I will kind of be doing what you expect a media member to be doing at the, at the winter meetings, you know, going, covering whatever transactions kind of transpire. I mean, grabbing whoever I can uh, who shows up between managers or farm directors or anything like that. Uh, I know they'll be handing out awards like the Joe Bowman uh, home run award. So hopefully we'll grab Dylan Cousins for either a story or something on the podcast. That'll be fun. Um, yeah, things like that. So, so keep your eyes peeled on my Twitter account here on the podcast. We'll have 
a lot of information uh, from the winter meetings for that. Uh, I think this this podcast itself was kind of kind of packed for a you know late it was November for a little, early yeah for a holiday season podcast. Yeah, just lots of information on this one. Sometimes we get a little you know not kooky, but we get a, uh, we have our fun with with this podcast, and that's great. And I love that we do that all the time. This one was just lots of things that I don't think a lot of people knew about coming out of this one. We always uh, try to bring you the latest and greatest, the things that you're all craving, things you didn't even know you were craving, like what craving. it takes to be a, a groundskeeper in the offseason, stuff that you yeah, didn't so even know you, you were interested in. Now you're interested in it. You're welcome, America. <laughs> so that'll do it. Episode number Oh, 86. man, I was hoping we would end on that. But... <laughs> we should. We should. But it was it was a little awkward. It was a little awkward. Although. Sometime in June. Sometime this... in June we'll do that, and it'll be a callback, and it'll be great. And yeah. Somebody out there will be super pumped that they remembered that this happened. And the subtitle of this podcast could be a little awkward. The show before the show podcast, a little awkward. (laughs) Why not? Hey, Sam, I'm Tyler. Enjoy uh, National Harbor, man. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I'll come back with as many stories as I can gather. And we'll talk to you uh, from there. We'll talk to all you guys from there. Enjoy the week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.